You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, it's episode 191 of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. I am the Pimpcron, in case you're just tuning in. You might be like, hey, where's Pimpcron? And I'm like, hey, this is me, the only guy talking right now. Anyway, what are we talking about? We are talking about my secret leaks. I have some secret moles in Games Workshop, and there may be some time travel involved. And it is all about 10th edition. What can you expect for your army in 10th edition? It is pretty awesome, I gotta tell you. And it's an extension of everything we've already seen in 9th edition, just extrapolated, but it's it's all real. They sent it to me via fax. So, we also have a letter from Eric, and he opens up a can of worms with me because he asks about philosophy, and I just, I let him have it. So it's a little odd topic for a wargaming show, but shut up. And then we also have the Nachmund, the Battlezone Fronteris Nachmund and the Age of Sigmar one, whatever that was called. I, they're very similar. They're, it's actually called Realmscape Thondian Strongpoint. And um, they're actually very similar and the same price point. So that's why I just did them at the same time. And that is the want that or want that not. You know, we are sponsored by our Patreon patrons, which help make this show possible and keep us on the air. And also GameMat.eu, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Pre-painted terrain, you know, MDF, resin, game mats. You know the deal. It's Event 10 for 10% off the order. That's still applicable. It's in the show notes each week. And occasionally I'll have someone message me and go, hey, what's what's the uh, the code? So I'm glad at least people are using the code. And, um, what else have I been up to? Well, work has really picked up, so that's taken up a lot of my time. I've been working on Brutal Space quite a bit, fleshing out the backstories of all the different factions, and I'm really starting to get a feel for the way this world is, this whole dimension, and all of that, so pretty excited about it. And what else? Um, I played a Age of Sigmar game this week with my friend TJ, and I had another one of my dice strikes where I just could not roll a single thing. So this is actually a good teachable moment for all of you where I failed every single point in playing Age of Sigmar. My list building. I grabbed a bunch of stuff that I wanted to take and I didn't really put in any consideration into it. And that's pretty common for me. Except I already knew the Hellstorm rocket batteries are pretty terrible for their points. They're very unreliable. They're extremely swingy. And they are like 130 points each. They're totally not worth it. But I added them to the list not even looking at their points. Because I'm like, oh, I love these things so much. I'm going to use them. And man, when they work excellently, then they work really well. But most of the time, you got about a 10% chance of them really doing some serious damage. And uh, they did not work out well for me at all, the entire game. So I failed in the list making of that game. And then in the strategy of things, I forgot how deadly the Blood Knights are. And they ran into my, um, ran into my uh, Great Swords, my Great Swords for Cities of Sigmar. And they are a pretty durable unit with a 4-up save, and of course I did uh, Mystic Shield, and I did All-Out Defense on them, and he's rend 1, so I was getting a plus 1 net on my save. And I rolled 15 
three up saves. 15 three ups. I should have gotten, what, nine of them or 10 of them roughly? What, 10? Yeah, I should have gotten 10 of those saved. But I got seven of them saved. And those eight that went through were two damage each. So it was 16 greatswords dead out of 20 in one turn. It was devastating. I should have stayed back just a little farther, but I didn't. And then, of course, my dice rolling was just awful. It was abysmal. It was miserable. It was another one of those games where I'm like, well, here I go. I'll sit here for two hours and just just let let him have at me because <laughs> I knew where this was going. It was not not a good. And when you just can't roll anything, it's just it's pretty rough. I had six shots with my Hellfire cannons or Rocket Storm batteries, whatever they're called. Rocket Storm batteries. Six shots hitting on fours. I hit one time out of six and then he saves it. And that was their whole activation that turn, which was really fun. <laughs> Ugh. So that was really rough. Um, I was supposed to have a brutality campaign game this week, but I didn't. The guy had work problems, so he had to uh, stay later at work. So hopefully this upcoming week I will have my brutality campaign game. I'm super excited about it. And I think that's about it. Uh, remember, Shorehammer tickets are on sale, and we will be getting back to the Shorehammer roundtable discussion when we're done all of the interviews with Alan Merritt and the like. If you remember back in, I think, March, I made a call to, hey, any listeners want to be on the podcast and just, you know, chat me up or whatever. Um, we had a listener from California, Andrew, contact me, and we just recently did that Skype um conversation and it really turned out well i'm i'm really happy with it we had a great conversation about our wish listing for 10th edition so um what we would like to see and all of that some of the fixes they could make to make us happy okay well let's get on with the rest of the show let's open the tesseract mailbox and this is real talk with the Pimpcron, and today we've got a philosophical topic so Eric writes in at pimpcron.gmail.com, and he writes, Hello, O great and wondrous pimp of all crons. I have struggled to climb this mountain to ask you, what is the meaning of all life? You said you needed emails a while ago. Here you go, Eric. So, uh, <laughs> Eric, um, you don't realize my passion for philosophy, or maybe you do, I have no idea, but you, you don't know my passion for, for philosophy, so you know what? I'm going to answer you honestly. I've spent my whole life thinking about mortality and what is my purpose in this life and what does it mean to succeed and what does success mean and can is there any real scale that you can measure success with? And this is applicable to all of you, so this is the way I see it. And I, I told you uh, in the email, Eric, that uh, you've opened a can of worms, so... <laughs> I'm sure you're expecting like some sort of Warhammer answer or something like that. But honestly, if we're being serious, 99.99999% of all of us are never going to be in the record books. We're not going to be in the history books. And we're going to lead some sort of quiet life off in the corner of somewhere in the world, right? I've heard so many people over the years go, oh, if I ever get rich or whatever, and the likelihood of that is extremely low. If you happen to get rich, then you know what? Good on you. 
but that is not a goal we really can strive for, is it? So what I have found is if I'm not going to impact history, right, humankind, I'm no Elon Musk, I'm no whatever, you know, rich, famous people, I don't have the power to do that. I'm never going to be a household name. I'm not a professional sports athlete or anything like that. So what can I do to make my life worth living? And we're going to, for the sake of it, I know the obvious answer for anyone that's religious is like, you know, to to do the right thing and follow your your religious text or whatever. But I'm just saying philosophically, aside from all of that, the real concrete answer to that, I think is a don't leave the world any worse than you found it right so don't walk around being a dick to everybody don't be screwing people left and right i mean basically just follow common sense and do what is right in the world and even the most evil people even the most biggest criminals all of that they do know what is right and wrong they all know that they are doing wrong now it depends on how much that means to them if they're doing wrong you know but the point is is that my opinion is when I was first married to my wife, I said, you know what? Our job in this world for humanity, for the sake of humanity, is to not raise four assholes. That's basically it. When And of course, we didn't have four kids at the time. But I said, my goal is to raise however many children I have. I want them to be good people. They may not be the smartest. They may not be the fastest. They probably will not be famous. They probably won't be super wealthy, whatever, because the odds are none of us are, right? 99.9999% of us are not going to make the headlines or newspapers, but that's fine. You know, I feel like in, in America, we focus so much on the rich people and the popular people and the celebrities and the, the politicians and all of that, that we lose sight. Like you're, you're aiming for something that is in no way attainable for most of you. And what that ends up doing is leaving you feeling like you're a loser. You could have a good family, a nice house, a good job. You could be well-known in your career, you could have a great reputation, and then you're going to look over at literally anyone else, and you're going to see that, oh, they've got a nicer car than me, or oh, they've got a bigger house than me, or oh, look at that celebrity on TV, I wish I were them, and what's going to end up happening is it kind of festers in you like a cancer, and if you are constantly not appreciating what you already have, then you are going to eventually think that it's worthless, like no worth whatsoever. And that, honestly, I think is the reason for a lot of midlife crises, crisis sees, is that they may have a functional relationship, they may have a functional job, but they want more. And they see, eventually it comes a time in everybody's life where they realize their immortality. And sorry, this is kind of a uh, heavy subject, but uh, Eric set me off here. And I also, I love my, my passion is to talk about this sort of stuff. So my gift to humanity is trying my hardest to not raise four assholes so that the next generation will have four fewer jerks in it, right? Just four regular, hardworking, normal people that will lead normal lives and not leave it worse than they found it. Just like I am trying not to leave it worse than I found it. And really, that's all I can do. I'm not going to affect politics. I'm not going to affect the economy. I'm not going to affect really my circle of influence if I died today, or anybody's for that matter. I would have some friends and some family and some acquaintances 
Friends and family would probably be pretty upset. Acquaintances would be like, oh, man, and and be bummed out. Just like all my multitudes of friends and people I've, if any of them, whenever any of them die, I'm going to be like, oh, man, like it's going to bum you out. But life continues on. That is the impact that you have in the world is the, the inter- interrelationships that you have with the different people in your life. And hopefully you don't go around being a jerk and hopefully you will have some impact and people will see you as somebody that is worth missing. And that is really all you can ask for. So some people hear, oh, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't want better. You shouldn't strive for better. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. You can always strive for better. You can always, you know, try to get in shape or lose weight. You can always try to get that promotion. You can always try to get something. But if that's the main driving force, you will never be satisfied with your life ever. And because there's always something better right? You could have this fantastic house, but your neighbor's got a new house and yours is 20 years old. Oh, well, gee, my house is garbage now because, you know, it's not as good as his. You could have somebody that you may not even like in your work, but they get promoted over you because, you know, they rub the right elbows or whatever, and you're going to be upset about it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you can pay your bills, and you can find some happiness in this life. I really do think that is the reason why we're here. Is to not leave it worse than we found it. And to just enjoy your life. Like, sure, there's a lot of hard work that goes into a career. Into providing for a family. Or cultivating a relationship and all of that. Sure, there's a lot of hard work in, in that. But that is the whole human existence. Like, the whole human existence is putting effort into things and watching it grow. Whether it be a garden or whether it's brutality, or Shorehammer, or your career, or even your friendships. I mean, your relationship with your family. Like, I guess what I'm saying is that you should always strive to improve yourself and improve your life. Sure, you should always strive to be nice. But achieving goals is not the ultimate end-all be-all because there will always be another goal after that. There will always be something higher. And unless you're the emperor of mankind there is always going to be another goal for you to strive. And meanwhile, you don't enjoy the goal you have. It's like if you sit down to a meal and all you can think about is dessert, right? You're like, oh man, I'm eating this appetizer at the restaurant, but man, I can't wait for dessert. Oh man. And you think about dessert the whole time you're eating this appetizer. You're not going to enjoy the appetizer. Then you move on to the the next, the, the main course. And then you're eating that and the whole time you're going, man, I can't wait for that dessert. That dessert's going to be so much better than this meal. Oh man, that dessert's going to be so sweet and blah, blah, blah. And you're not enjoying your meal. And finally, when it comes to your ice cream or whatever your dessert is, you may enjoy that for a, a moment. You know, you might enjoy that promotion for a moment. You might enjoy that new relationship or that new whatever, that new car for a moment. And then immediately when that wears off, you're going to be going, man, I could really go for some cake. I could really go for a soda. I could really go. It's never ending. So one of the things I've done is, you know, none of us like to to grow older, right? None of us like to get older, but I've had always what's called premature mourning my whole life. And it's because of philosophy. I've known my days are numbered for my whole life, like even as a child. I remember seeing the end of high school as this great cliff, right? Uh, the real, the great cliff that you get pushed off. Like one of those coin things you do at the arcades with the bar that pushes the coin slowly off the edge. 
And I remember thinking about that. I was riding on the bus in ninth grade and I go, man, I, I look at some of the seniors riding the bus with me and I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not them. They're getting pushed off into the real world. And then the next year I remember going, oh man, 10th edi- uh, edition, 10th grade. Oh man, I, I'm glad I'm you know, not one of the seniors this year or whatever. And I started developing a a method of feeling better about the situation. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be 37 this year. And every year since I was probably 18, I've thought, well, man, I really don't want to be turning 37, but you know what? It's better than 38. And next year when I'm turned 38, I'll be like, well, I'm going to be 38, but it's better than 39. And I've done that for like the last, you know, 16 years or more. Like I, I've done that for a long time. And it does make me feel, it makes you feel almost like you got a free year of life. You're like, wow, it's better than next year. <laughs> and I don't know if that works for everyone, but it does work for me. And um, I don't know, man, just try to enjoy your life. Obviously, not all of you have the same advantages. Obviously, not all of you have the same family or the same work or whatever, but try to enjoy what you have. You can always try for better, but do sit there and enjoy what you have. I'm I'm constantly making it a point to say how much I love my kids, how much I love my wife, how much I love my yard. I mean, I don't even have you. I'm certain many of you guys have a nicer house than me. You've got nicer cars than me or whatever, but it doesn't really matter what you have in my eyes. I'm not competing with you. And if I was competing with you and I finally overtake you in the big house award or whatever, there's always someone with a bigger house. So it's a never ending struggle. So I'm just saying, if you verbalize, if you actually internalize it and verbalize, hey, I really do like this person, man, I really do like this playing this army, man, I love Warhammer, man, I love hanging out with my friends, oh man, my kids really do make me happy, and if you keep that focused in your mind, I think personally that it has a positive impact, and you're really appreciated, because your brain is so easy to focus on the negative, it's so easy to go, oh man, today was a rough day at work, blah, 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 But if you really sit down and think about it and you go, well, you know, I was productive and I did make money like, hey, I got X, Y and Z done. I feel some accomplishment for that. And yeah, the guy I work with might be a pain or whatever, but I did get stuff done and I am making money. That's just one silly example off the top of my head. So if any of you are still listening by the end of this segment, um, hopefully that has some sort of positive impact on you. And uh, it certainly has for me my whole life. Anyway, so leave the place better than you you found it, and don't be a jerk, and just try to be happy. Just try to, even if it's simple joys, you know, you like some, I don't know, iced tea in the refrigerator, make some freaking iced tea. Like, just, just enjoy your life, and enjoy the Warhammer experience, and all your friends you can make through that, too. So, sorry, Eric, I know that uh, you probably were not expecting such a heavy... Um, response to what you were saying, but I I did warn you. <laughs> so nobody else asked me anything philosophical, or I'll go on for twelve minutes about it. Want that, or want that not? All right. Well, this is want that or want that not, and unfortunately, this is a bunch of crap. <laughs> I'm covering 
both at the same time because they're equally crappy. The Re Realmscape Thondian Strongpoint for Age of Sigmar and the Battlezone Fronteris Nachmund uh, for 40k. Both of them are $220 for what is essentially some scatter terrain and some walls and a cardboard mat. I just... Games Workshop, I'm sorry, you've lost your mind here, pals. I do not think that's... Uh, oh, it's a double-sided gaming board. Oh, well, shit, never mind. $220, okay. Like, I'm totally fine with it now. No, I truly am not. The Thondian, Thondian Strong Point for uh, uh, H of Sigmar, it gives you one of those weird-shaped, you know, uh, mats for Warhammer, you know, the 23 inches or whatever. It gives you one of those that's double-sided. And it does have one kind of neat piece of terrain, but for the purposes of actually playing the game, it serves no purpose whatsoever. You know how that really cool Lumineth Realm Lords uh, throne area with the water fountain. I don't even know what it's called. But uh, this is very similar to that. It's got stairs leading up to it. It's hovering and it's got um, rivers flowing out of it. That's pretty cool. There is a statue. There's a, a tiny barricade. There's two ruined corners. They're only one story tall. And then there is a skeleton of a giant monster. And then there's like a... I guess it's a um, endless spell, but who gives a crap? Two hundred and twenty dollars is ungodly for this. It's it is totally not worth it. And let's move on to the next one because I I was so disinterested in both of these that I figured you know what I'll just cover them at the same time because they're both equally ridiculous. So the forty k one is the Battle Zone Fronteris Nachmund. It does have more utility than the Age of Sigmar one, because the Age of Sigmar one has basically no line of sight blocking. It's got two corners of buildings, and I'm pretty sure there's holes in the walls because they're ruined. So other than that, there's no line of sight blocking. And as you know, in Age of Sigmar, it's either line of sight blocking or it's area terrain or it's nothing. And like that little barricade they give you or the statue, what does that even do? It serves no purpose in the game whatsoever. And they're basically wasting plastic. Now, the Knockbund one is slightly better. Is it worth $220? Absolutely not. Um, I could get double the terrain from GameMat.eu for that, and it's already pre-painted. So, no, definitely not doing that. But they are slightly better. They do come with barricade walls, so that is actually useful in 40k. There is one tower thing that you could hide about one to two Space Marines behind, so that's basically pointless. And then there is a satellite dish area that is also like one or two space marines behind it, which is also pointless. So those two pieces are completely pointless. Then you get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight walls. And the walls are not, they're like waist high, chest high. They're like barricades. They're not really walls. So, I mean, okay, that's fine. I'm not, it's not knocking my socks off. It's something though, isn't it? And then you get two one-story buildings that serve almost no purpose except for being, I guess, scalable and obscuring. You can't go in them. They have doors that are closed, so it's not like a ruin. You could get on top of them. And then there's like a helipad sort of thing where I guess they... I don't know. This is just stupid. It, it truly is. I hate to be negative. It is just dumb. It's almost as if they don't know that 3D printers and terrain makers and MDF and all of that are like way cheaper 
way, way cheaper. This isn't even iconic. Like, if you were to tell me, if you were to show this to me and go, oh, yeah, Mantic, look at Mantic's new train set. Well, number one, I would know it wasn't Mantic because of the price point. But number two, I'd be like, oh, cool. It does not look like Games Workshop in the least. I mean, I'm sure it's covered in skulls probably somewhere. I can't see them. And it's probably covered in eagles, sure. But it really is not interesting in any sort of way. But if you had to buy one of them, the 40k one has way more utility because of the barricades and the actual buildings you can hide behind. The, the Age of Sigmar one is all window dressing. I have no idea why you'd have that. And these boards, why even mess with these boards? It's uh, when game mats and other things exist, just these boards are pretty lame. So unfortunately, okay, hold on. I can't just be negative the whole time and not say anything positive. So my positive statement to make about this is that the 40k one has a moderate amount of line of sight blocking terrain. Matter of fact, all but two of them, well, not really. Hmm. Only the buildings block line of sight, but the barricades are useful for cover. And then the landing pad thing is really not tall enough to provide line of sight. So uh, even my compliments, not very strong on this one. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's just totally I want that not for me. Matter of fact, if you were to give it to me, I'd punch you in the sack. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey, everybody. It's Real Talk with the Pentcron, and I had some urgent information that was just leaked to me that is going to change everything for 10th edition Warhammer 40k, okay? That's why I had to interrupt the uh, Alan Merritt interviews, and I have another interview with the listener, Andrew. I'm not posting those this week. we got to take a break because this is so darn important. This is what you can expect in 10th edition 40k. Now, I can't go into how I got this information. I can't reveal any of my sources. Um, you can assume that the all-knowing and all-powerful Pimpcron has roots deep into Games Workshop, and I'm not going to confirm or deny anything, but some, some time travel may be involved. So what I really find interesting about all this is that you can see the trend in the direction it's going and 10th edition will not disappoint. Okay. We all love 9th edition. 9th edition's fantastic. Best edition 40K has ever had. 10th edition is going to top that tenfold. So. First off, you'll notice in 10th edition that AP1 is now treated as AP0 because everybody has some way to add to their save or just ignore AP1 or something like that. So the first thing you're going to notice in the 10th edition codexes is that anything that was AP1 is now just AP0 because AP1 is basically completely pointless. Everything just ignores AP1 now, as you know. You know, all these pluses to your save and all of that. So AP1 has been completely nixed. You either have AP0 or you have AP2 or higher. Now, anything that was AP2 is now going to be AP3 and so on and so forth. So uh, Laz Cannon is now AP4, uh, Meltagun's AP5. Things like that. Some of the data sheets that I saw that were actually leaked, um, the things that are AP 4 or 5 now, some of them are AP 8, and some of them are just a flat AP 15. Now, as far as random damage, okay, now you'll notice originally in 8th edition, we had all that real lame damage. It was like D6 or whatever stupid crap, right? D3. Well, now in 9th edition, we noticed that a lot of the weapons that were D3 are now just damage 2, and even a lot of the damage 1 weapons became damage too, right? Well, 
Then at the in ninth edition towards the end, you'll notice that it was a lot of it was like d6 plus three, or it couldn't be um, um, less than three when you're rolling to d6 for damage, that sort of thing. Everything is just straight 10 damage now. If your weapon was d3 damage or d6 damage, it is just 10 now, with the exception of a few, th a few things. Uh, Melta guns are now damage 20 if you're at half range, so that's really helpful. And I think they were the AP 12, I think. I, I'll have to check my notes again. But as you can see, this is a very exciting time for Warhammer 40k. 10th edition is really cranking it up a notch. And we can all expect super narrative, super fluffy, casual, just fun games. And I am pretty excited about it. Now, a lot of the older editions had things that were pretty binary, right? It was either like if you got swept during melee, you were just dead. The whole squad was dead. There was no you know, losing the number of models by how much you lost your battle shock or whatever, and attrition tests, they didn't exist. Also AP, if something was AP3, that just ignored a 3-up save, period. It wasn't minus 3 to your save. Well, I like that they're going back to those roots, and a lot of things, just with the damage 10 and whatnot, it just will kill something, just flat out. If it hits you and wounds you, probably going to be AP5, some of them AP8 or AP12, you're probably not going to save it, so it's just dead. Now, to counteract that, you'll notice that a lot of 9th edition units had 4-up saves, and or 5-up saves, or some sort of invulnerable. So, in order to counteract that, to, to balance the game for 10th edition, all units across the board, every race, every unit, has a 4-up invulnerable save. That's the way they decided to balance it for 10th edition, which I do like because the AP was getting so high that a lot of the units were just auto-killed, and God knows, with all this damage 10 flying around, right? And the, the ignoring AP 1 and all of that. So what you're going to see in the later stages, though, is a lot of the armies are going to start ignoring AP 2 or AP 3, where they used to ignore AP 1, and that's totally fine. I think that's a good, I think that's a good middle way. But... If nothing else, they have a 4-up invol. Now, when it comes to invols, the things that used to have an invol, 5-up or 4-up, now may have a 3-up. They're backtracking on that. In 9th edition, you'll notice nothing had a 3-up invulnerable safe. But in 10th edition, there's a lot of things. Probably about a third of the units in the game have a 3-up invulnerable save. Now, you'll also notice that in 9th edition, a lot of these units got an extra toughness, a lot of them got an extra leadership or an attack or an extra wound in the case of Space Marines. Well, hold on to your socks, pals. This you're going to want to hear. Space Marines, regular Primera Space Marines, 9 wounds now for 10th edition. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, Aggressors are 15 wounds a pop now. That is nuts, and the reason, I, I feel like they had to do that, because all this damage 10 flying around here, and the AP and all that, you know, it, you gotta, you gotta increase the wounds of your basic troops. Hormagons, six wounds. I mean, finally, a durable horde unit, am I right? I mean, you take 30 of these as six wounds, what's that, 180 wounds, that's fantastic. Now, one thing you do have to realize is that your typical bolter does five damage now, instead of just one. So that does even out. I think they've done a really good job of balancing all of this. Now, you'll notice that in 9th edition, there was tons of transhuman physiology, and there was um, various rules that were like transhuman, right? Uh, the orcs have them, the necrons have them, where you can't be wounded on better than a 4-up or whatever. 
my sources say that in 10th edition, they're just doing away with strength and toughness altogether. Nothing gets wounded on better than a 4-up. So that's actually kind of cool, right? Allows cannon 4-up for a Hormagant. It's a 4-up for a Land Raider. I mean, I think that's actually pretty fair. It really does rely on the roll of the dice. Nothing, nothing can be wounded on better than a 4-up. And then, look at that. You've Not only do you have way more wounds for your models, which is definitely needed, but then you have that pretty standard, not OP at all 4-up invulnerable save, which I think is... I feel like they're finally getting 40k right with 10th edition. And I'm... I am beside myself. So finally, we can get back to those narrative games that I love so much. And 9th edition, I think it was in the right direction, but I think there were some things they could capitalize. And just generally, you can see the the arc of which way they're going. So I really like that. No more strength or toughness. That's pretty cool. Now, you'll also remember that 9th edition introduced a lot of ineffective and kind of pointless terrain rules, right? Like obscuring. Like, what is that even? Well, they have really dug their heels in now. And if you thought that ninth edition was customizable and what, you know, your terrain can be scalable or whatever, if you really thought you could customize terrain now, this is really cool for 10th edition because 10th edition is going to have 74 different terrain rules For instance, there is four different versions of Obscuring. How about that? There is seven different varieties of Breachable. And, oh my god, I cannot wait. Finally, the Designers of Games Workshop is listening to the fans for once. I feel like this is a renaissance for Games Workshop. They're listening because I want to roll up a table terrain stats similar to a D&D character. I want it to have abilities, I want it to have proficiencies... Um, If this hill has a proficiency for being climbed, then it actually gives you movement in inches. Like, your distance actually faster up this hill because, I don't know, it's just proficient in it. And um, there's different ways you can equip, like your hills or your trees. They actually have war gear for terrain now, which is pretty neat. You each get 4d6 points to spend on different equipment and abilities on your terrain pieces, and you can make them hostile to a certain faction, you can make them, like I said, uh, proficient in different things. It is just awesome. Now, you're going to want to discuss all the terrain features with your opponent before the match, and this is going to... Probably one of the only drawbacks to all these 10th edition improvements is that tournaments may get a little longer because you're going to have to roll up the stats for all of your train features, and then you're going to have the points that you have to equip them with different features, like, is this a crater, or is it a sandy crater, or is it a bone-scattered crater, or is it a pavement-blasted crater, or was it an incendiary ordnance crater? I mean, there's, um, let me look here, uh, there's seven different types of craters, so that's pretty cool. And I feel like it really does make the board the third player. And you've got, not only do you have all of the customization for your armies, but now you can make the board your own. You can really tell a story with the board. What's the relationship of that grassy hill with all the other geological features on the board? I mean, think about that. Those are things you've never considered before because Games Workshop was too 
dead set on trying to make this game play smoothly and fast and all that. And that's just, to be honest, that's kind of stupid. So I am very excited now. Ah, and this is the part where we get to Mortal Wounds. This is really juicy. So now, you know, a lot of the factions are just dealing Mortal Wounds constantly. Just Mortal Wounds, right? Well, that's getting a little bit out of hand, right? So in order to combat that, there is a new type of invulnerable save, right? It's super invulnerable save. So now that saves are basically out the window. Armor saves, they're, they're pointless. AP just ignores them, whatever. So you need these invulnerable saves. But what about mortal wounds? You need a super invulnerable save. So some of the units that used to have invulnerable saves naturally, they have a slightly better invulnerable save now, but now they have a super invulnerable save against mortal wounds. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're going to say, oh, then I guess mortal wounds aren't as effective as they used to be. Well. Now there are super mortal wounds. So the super mortal wounds cannot be negated in any way. So they're kind of like the way mortal wounds were before before the super invulnerable, but they're kind of better because now you have damage and now you have mortal wounds and now you have super mortal wounds, right? Well, now you have armor saves, you have invulnerable saves, and you have super invulnerable saves. I really like how this is kind of fleshing out. Games Workshop is going to be so mad at me for leaking this, but I have to tell you, the most excited I am for anything here is Mega Mortal Wounds. So you've got the Super Mortal Wounds, which are kind of like the old Mortal Wounds. Then you've got Mega Mortal Wounds. Now, Mega Mortal Wounds kill whole models. It doesn't matter. Like, for instance, I'm looking through here to the... um, Okay, Living Battering Ram for Carnifex is in 10th edition. Okay, when they finish a charge they get to roll to see if they do any Mega Mortal Wounds. If they do, it's D3, by the way, D3 Mega Mortal Wounds on a 2-up, and for each Mega Mortal Wound they do, it's basically like the old instant death, so that it doesn't matter if your Space Marine has 9 wounds, it's going to just instantly kill him. That's just, that's what a Mega Mortal Wound does. And I... Man, the, the complexity, the layered nuances of this 10th edition is got me so jazzed. I'm, I almost don't even want to play 9th edition anymore because 10th edition is probably around the corner. And uh, I am so excited for that. And I know a lot of you will be excited to hear that leadership and morale actually matters in 10th edition. Yeah, there are psychic mortal wounds. And the way you save those is making a leadership check. So the Psychic Mortal Wounds is kind of like the Mega Mortal Wounds, but whole units, uh, whole models flee regardless of their wounds if you fail a leadership check. So things like Night Lords finally have some punch. You know, they've, they've been kind of ineffective for a long time because morale was kind of not a big thing in 8th or 9th edition, especially not 9th edition. Well, finally, they've got some punch, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. There's a, <laughs> it's funny, the one sheet they sent me, they faxed me over, was that uh, there's actually a chart to see whether or not your character urinates on himself, he cries for mommy, or various other things. I only remember those two, but it was a whole 2D12, uh, 2D6 chart. It was a D12 chart of just the narrative, you know, what your character does. Does he pee himself? And um, it's it's pretty cool, honestly. They've gone way out there with the narrative, immersive stuff. 
Now, stratagems are also changed just a little bit. Number one, stratagems purely just pick a unit and remove them from the table. That's basically what they are. Each, each army has a couple stratagems, but most of them are like, pick a monster unit and remove it from the board. And I mean like, destroy it, an enemy monster unit. Or pick a vehicle unit and tell your opponent to remove it from the board. And that's basically how the stratagems work now. Also, you get way more stratagems. Um, in a typical 1250 game, you're going to have about 47 uh, command points for your stratagems. So that coupled with the increased invuls and the increased damage and the increased wounds and all of that and the mega mortal wounds and the psychic mortal wounds and all of that, I think they've, they've hit a really nice balance. I feel like the design team is finally in their groove as far as what the players want to play with. You know, just let us play with whatever we want. And I had one more sheet, but unfortunately it did not print out very well. So I don't, that leaked sheet, it said something something about it was like all blank because it printed out weird all blank blank primarchs come blank so i don't know what that could mean but any of you sleuths out there if you can figure out all blank blank primarchs come blank what do you think that means i just hmm I don't know. I'll, I'll sit on it. Maybe I've got an answer for next week. I'm going to try to get my secret leakers to uh, send me that sheet again. So anyway, I hope you are as jazzed about 10th edition as I am, because it is awesome. It's going to be lit. Oh, my gosh. I almost forgot. Oh, my God. You would have been so mad at me. So you know how the prices keep going up and up and up and up, right? The new Necromunda box, that's like $700 or something stupid, right? Well, this is going to be a little bit of sticker shock, but I think you'll know that there's quite a bit of value in this box. The starter set for 10th edition 40k, by the time that it comes out, this is actually going to be a deal. So don't worry about it. At the time, you'll be thrilled to have it. But it comes with 25 highly detailed Citadel models. It's Space Marines and it's orcs in a starter set again together, and I am really excited about it. Now, these models, the price is going to be, and I, I know you're going to brace yourself, the price is going to be $8,000, okay? But, listen up, these 25 models is actually going to be a $9,500 value. So, I mean, you're saving $1,500 for crying out loud. So you really just split it with a pal, each go in four grand each, Get your split, you know, split it like you normally would. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening, and I hope you're as excited about 10th edition as I am. Thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show, and thank you for my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. I'll see you next week.